0: Hi, this is Jim Lobato. I'm president and founder of a company called Performance Group. You're listening to the podcast version of a program that originally aired on the BizTalk radio show. I started BizTalk so you would have access to today's leading experts about growing your company and yourself. BizTalk is produced by the Performance Group, which is in the business of helping the leadership of growth-oriented companies realize their potential. We do this by working with their sales force and helping those individuals discover and develop their unique abilities, and then align those abilities with their opportunities. That's why we're known as a sales force development company. This podcast is part one of a two-part podcast. Our guest is Jay Forty. His book, Fire Up Your Employees and Smoke Your Competition, How to Invite, Insight, and Ignite Employee Performance. We broke this up into two podcasts because of all the insight Jay was willing to share. So the first podcast really concerns with why it's important and what to do with employees in today's environment. So I hope you enjoy this podcast, and don't forget to listen to the second podcast where we show you how to do what he talks about. On our program tonight is Jay Forty. Jay, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Jim. Jay, your new book, Fire Up Your Employees and Smoke Your Competition, How to Invite, Incite, and Ignite Employee Performance. I'm excited about the title, because that's what every leader is looking for in their companies today. You make a point in the book about how employees need to make a connection in their job, not only at an intellectual level, but at an emotional level. And I think most people get that, and at the same time, how is that different in today's work environment? Jim, that's
1: a great question. When we take a look at the way that people work nowadays, I think most people would see or say that, you know, people don't seem to be excited or passionate about what they do. And in today's intellectual workplace, you know, we, we don't make that much here anymore. The intellectual age has taken over where the industrial age was. So, you know, much of manufacturing's moved offshore and left us with this intellectual and conceptual workplace. And that means people have to think in the course of their day. It's a service workplace. And if an employee is not passionate or excited, or the term that I used was fired up about their work, then the customer gets really lousy service, and the business doesn't succeed. So it, it was trying to help managers understand that when we moved from this industrial age to today's intellectual age, that the way that you manage people had to change as well. So you get, don't get to tell people what to do anymore, because it doesn't engage them, it doesn't inspire them, it doesn't activate their passion. So the process then that, that generated the book was to say, well, how can we help a manager understand how to connect employees to performance? And they have to do it in those two ways that you mentioned. You have to connect them intellectually. You've got you to put them in jobs that they're good at. And the real big and is that you also have to connect them passionately or emotionally to their work because that's the big driver of great performance. And and that's where that fire up part comes from. That's what we're after. We need them excited, dynamic, engaged, passionate about what they do, or they just send customers
0: away. So uh, we'll get to, because I want to stay at the 30,000-foot level, because you said in your book there are five steps to building that connection between the intellectual and emotional, and we want to get to those in just a second. But you said one of the key words there that I hear over and over and over again with either the managers that I work with or the leaders of companies that I work with who say, man, if I can just get my employees to think. And and that's the big frustration they have from people. I gave them this project, and and yeah, they kind of didn't, but they didn't think through some of the other elements that connect with that. Is that one of the common frustrations you're also hearing from people that you work with?
1: It is, and, and it forced the discussion that said, well, well, why wouldn't somebody, when they pack their lunch, pack their brain? Why, why wouldn't they think? And the answer, as we get into it a little bit more, is thinking is, is hardwired into each of our heads. So I think in a particular way, you think in a particular way, but the job needs thinking in a very particular way. So somebody who doesn't think that way is naturally not going to be that good at the job. And that never mattered that much before in the industrial age where where we did the same recurring kind of tasks over and over again and people could learn that set of skills. Today we're all about talents, You know, the the natural aptitudes that we have, nowadays it matters how we fit into a job. So there really is a right and a wrong person in each job or or could be in a job. And the reason why many managers say, my employees don't seem to think that much as they frequently have the wrong person in the wrong job.
0: You know, it's interesting because when the book came out, Good to Great by Jim Collins, it was the big rave. And and I fear that over time, as we drift farther from the published date of that book, people will forget the great content was in there. And one of the key chapters in his book he talked about was having the right people in the right seats doing the right things at the right time. And and that's in essence what I hear you saying is find those right people and put them in the right seats.
1: That's right. The the, the challenge is since his book was written, though the world has gotten, or at least in the the economy in in the U.S. has gotten more focused in in an intellectual uh, workplace or service workplace. So his thinking was state of the art then, and it now has to be exactly what everybody does. And and the real reason why I started the book was I saw over and over and over again managers who have moved with the times but not changed with the times. They, they understand that people are now doing different kinds of jobs than making things. And the way that you manage people in a make things or make ideas kind of world are very different. So they kept using the make things approach to, to management in a make ideas kind of world, and it, and it kept failing. And, and that's the point where we see this. Uh, employees that turn turnover, you know, the turnover is is really high, they change jobs every 18 to 36 months, they're never that happy, they do as little as possible, there's no sense of loyalty. Well, most of it has to do with how mismanaged people are. If you don't work in a job that you're good at, you're going to feel very disconnected. If you don't work in a job that you love, you'll be even less interested in doing a good job. So all of a sudden, Jim Collins' thinking is now more urgent than ever before. It truly matters. Who is in that job? Because you can't change the way you think. You're hardwired, you spark in a particular way, and that's the way that will influence your decision-making all day long. And if I put you in a job that needs decision-making different than the way that you think, in a thinking job, then most of the time you're going to accidentally choose the wrong response. And the impact on the company is, is enormous.
0: Well, let's talk about for a second, you hit on something about our managers who are leading these organizations today may have come out of a background where they were making things, as you call it. So give us an example of the making things mentality that doesn't work with today's marketplace or with today's employee.
1: Uh, great question. In a make things uh, industrial age, the, 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 the significant performance of an employee was based on how well they learned a particular skill. If they just have to do a series of recurring procedures over and over again, I frankly don't care whether they like it or not. I just need them to learn it and, and do it over and over again. And how you manage somebody who does the same set of tasks over and over again is uh, it, it was really the hallmark of what they called command and control. I'm the boss. I tell you what to do. Just do it, and you'll get the product done, and it'll work great. That thinking... Presumes that all of the thinking can be done, or much of the thinking can be done, by management because most employees are just following procedures. So, step ahead into today's world where every situation, virtually every situation that an employee has to deal with, is a unique situation. Every time a customer comes in in a service workplace, and they say now that we're 78, 85, 88% of all businesses in North America are now service related because so much of manufacturing has moved offshore that means that each employee is more in front of a customer than ever before and no two customers want exactly the same thing so it's not about doing the same procedure over and over again now i need my employees to be thinking and inventing and being responsive in other words they have to really be present now so if i tell an employee what to do i might be able to identify one or two or five situations that he might encounter but in the course of a day, he's going to encounter a hundred situations. So I can't just tell him to do it anymore. It's not the same recurring thing. Nowadays, I have to understand him well enough to put him in the right job, get him excited, and basically I change my style of management from command and control to engage and inspire. I have to stay connected with them and talk to them, So they're excited, passionate, um, um, you know, interested in what they do, because they are now directly in front of that customer, not hiding behind a line and not hiding behind a
0: product. Okay, so I can hear some of our audience right now just getting kind of overwhelmed <laughs> because, gosh, I haven't got all my procedures documented in my company. I, I can't get half the people to follow some of the basic procedures in their role, and now you're telling me that I have to kind of manage them almost individually and from a unique standpoint. So, We don't take procedures and just kind of just throw them out, do we, and just hopefully hire these bright people that can seem to do the job. There must be a balance between the two.
1: There is, and procedures guide every organization to ensure that critical things happen. Um, But the procedures, as we go forward in a service workplace, are, are less rigid because they have to be responsive to what a customer needs. So you may say that the procedure is to make sure that the customer is truly satisfied at the end of the event, well, that's very different than, you know, doing step A, then step B, and step C. So we do need, and in an intellectual workplace, we do try and encourage employees to be more free thinkers within the confines. Now, okay, you're working a bank. Um, I don't want you to have great freedom in how you record my deposit. So, okay, I have a set of procedures for that, but I can't mandate how you should interact with a customer. That I have to leave up to you because I need your personality to come through. I can give you some guidance, but now all of a sudden, yes, you need to get the job done in the right way, but you also need to build a rapport with that customer. So I may give you some guidance on how to connect with a customer, but I can't possibly come up with every situation you might encounter. So I have to start making more of a premeditative effort in the way that I hire people Who will also be good with customers Um, so it now adds this other call it a complexity but call it just a change on some of the attributes that we need to start to look at when we consider hiring people that maybe we didn't look at before
0: you know jay you bring up an interesting word where you say we have to look at things differently and use the word attributes and the thing that drives me insane when i'm working with companies and they, they hire these people that don't seem to work out. And you, you go back and you look at it. And the number one reason for hiring them is, well, I have experience. I got experience in that industry. they had experience in that job. And, and I sit back and I say, well, but your company's different. Your clientele is different. Even though you're you know, in the same vertical, you're serving a different set of customers. So it's not necessarily the experience that transfers over. And so... What I hear you saying is some of the attributes you're looking for, could it be the attribute of how people think? Because how they think is how they're going to react to the task or the people that they have to serve.
1: You're exactly right. And here's the easiest way that I've been explaining it to to, to, um, companies that I work with. Performance, think of performance as your best performance happens when these two things happen. You're good at what you do and you love what you do. So your very best performance would be that you feel capable and confident and that you are also uh, excited or, or personally committed to it. When you look at experience, experience doesn't mean you were good at it, and it also doesn't mean you loved it. So when you hire people strictly based on experience, without the other look at how they fit and what is the way that they process and think, because that is going to affect performance, then many times we find people keep doing the same jobs even though they're really awful at them. They don't have, uh, I mean, they're not good at it and they're not passionate about it, but they have experience. And there's a great fallacy in today's uh, hiring managers when they look at resumes. And I've done a lot of work with encouraging organizations to stop looking at just skill and experience on resumes and start looking at talents, the fundamental thinking, because you accidentally perpetuate Uh, someone who's not necessarily a good employee, but they have done it before. And the circumstances in your business may not be the same circumstances in another business, so that experience sometimes really isn't of any value. Instead, what you really want to know is day in, day out, how do they think and how do they process so that the situations they'll encounter in the course of the day, they'll handle them right.
0: So let's pretend that I find that right person, and let's pretend that they Think in a manner that's going to be conducive to the task they're going to be required by this job or position that they fill. Uh, What are you suggesting the companies do after we hire that person? There must be another connection we're going to have to make because now we have some people who don't necessarily have the experience, but they have the talent to do the job. So how do we start connecting now this raw talent to what the job is going to require?
1: That's a good one. Um, there's a great line in uh, Marcus Buckingham has done a significant amount of work at Gallup Organization, and he has a book. He has many books out, but the book that is really the lead on this is a book called uh, or titled First Break All the Rules." And in it, he says that um, skills you, you hire for talent and train for skills or experience. Think of it that way. When someone thinks in a particular way they are an easier person to bring up quickly um, when it comes to skills and experience. So, so here's an example. Let's say that I'm in a retail store environment, and my fundamental talents, my way of thinking is very analytical. So I'm, I'm behind the counter, I'm looking at a report, and a customer comes in. Well, the statistic says in the course of the day, each of us make 20,000 three-second decisions. We're just making decisions all day long but we make them in line with the way that we think. In other words, our talents are going to exhibit the way that we think. So back to the, the, the more analytical person. He's behind the counter. A customer comes in. He looks up, natural reaction, and looks right back down to continue working on that schedule. He's not a jerk. He's not an idiot. He just doesn't think that way. His natural processing says stay focused on work. Okay, so change it out with someone who thinks in a far more social or relationship way, fundamentally hardwired. I can't add it if it's not there, so I have to play it with. So now I put that same person, that, that, that social, more social person behind the counter. Customer comes in, they look up, they run over, and they shake their hand. I didn't need to tell them. It's just the way they think. So that person, that socially minded person with the strong talent, is already well ahead of the performance of somebody else, because their brain thinks that way. So getting experience, they say that when you identify what your talents are, your talents indicate what your strongest learning aptitudes are, the things that appeal to you the most. So if you hire somebody for talents, they frequently already know what to do, even before you tell them they have to. So you might give this Sheet of instructions to that more analytical type person that said, okay, when a customer comes in, I want you to put your work down, go over and shake their hand and say, good morning, this is what we do. But that's a struggle, and day in and day out, most of the time, that analytical person's not going to remember to do all that. But give that same job to a socially minded, relationship minded, fundamentally per, a people oriented person that's part of their talents and their hardwiring. And then all of a sudden, you don't need to tell them all this stuff. It just happens. So they catch up very quickly in the experience and the skill because it's the way that they think, and it makes learning very quick. And therefore, their learning curve is very short.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because the the other book out on this topic, co-authored by Dan Sullivan, and it was it's called uh, "Discover Your Unique Ability," and that's what you're really talking about. Is someone has this unique ability, and unique ability is where it's something you could do all day long and never tire from it. And there's some people that like, can greet customers all day long and never get burned out by it. And other people that says, gosh, you know, if I see one more customer today, I'm gonna to pull my hair out.
1: Right, right. And, and that's hardwired into our heads. That's part of how we're built. So if we choose, and this is the role of what a manager needs to do today, is to understand the thinking the job needs and find someone who's a good fit for that because that person needs to be great all day long. And and now I'm back to that definition of performance. They've got to be good at it, and they got to love it. So someone who is great with customers all day long, they can handle that and be great, be upbeat and be excited. Give that to an accountant type. You know, they'll last an hour and then, you know, lose their cool right away. And it doesn't mean that that accountant type is a bad employee. They're just miscast in that job. They're just... Okay, they're right on the right. box, they're in the wrong
0: seat. We're talking with Jay Forty, his book, Fire Up Your Employees, and Smoke Your Competition, How to Invite, Incite, and Ignite Employee Performance. Jay, earlier in the program, we mentioned there must be an intellectual connection to their work, and there must be an emotional connection to that work in their manager, and you outlined five steps to make those connections. What are those five steps?
1: Um, I, I, when I took a look at the process of managing in an intellectual age, I didn't want people to be intimidated on how big it was because shifting from industrial age thinking to intellectual age thinking, it, it, it's big. So what I tried to do was to break it into those three pieces, and there's a couple of components in each of those. So the three pieces are how do you invite, incite, and ignite employee performance. Invite says I have to do two things. I have to build a power culture, uh, an employee-focused culture, because when i'm the best place to work then everybody wants to work here so that i have a choice of hiring the right person which is the second part so i invite the, uh, people in by having a strong employee focused culture and then learning how to hire on talent so that the right person is in the right job in other words they're good at it so those are the first two the next part says okay now i've got the right person in the right job and they're really good at it and they like what they do now I want to see if I can activate their passion so I can kick it up a bit, fire them up a bit. And that is uh, under the insight employee performance. And there are two things to do with that. And that says, um, my favorite thing in the whole book is this, this way of hooking an employee's uh, emotional connection. It's called job sculpting. Job sculpting is one of the two parts of inciting an employee, employee performance. And it, and it says, i know that the employee brings other talents to the job i know they're good at what they're doing because we put the right person in the right job but there are other things that they might like to do in this company that get them excited and as many things of those as i can offer to that employee the more excited they get about their work and an example of that might be let's say i have a salesman okay and his job he's got to connect with customers and he's really good with that and we hired him right and he's in the right job so intellectually we're connected now emotionally I also know that he loves to teach. Okay, not all salesmen do, but this one does. So I give him the responsibility to create some new product education. And when I give it to him, my company needs it done. He's a perfect fit. He doesn't see it as additional work. He gets excited by the possibility of doing it because he loves that aspect. So the more you customize or sculpt a job to an employee, the more you engage them emotionally. So we've got... Set the the workplace culture up right and hire the right employee. Then we've got job sculpting that we just talked about and what we call performance expectations. That's where you help an employee know what they need to get done, but you let them build the plan to do it. You manage it. You don't lose control, but you give them more of a voice in the way that they do performance. And then the last part, um, we can uh, bundle the last two pieces together, and that's how do you connect your employees emotionally to their managers? And there's a great statement that says, employees work for more than money. They work for the praise and the acknowledgement of their manager. So if we're talking about firing up employees, yeah, we've got to get them in the right job. And yeah, we have to get them excited about their job. But we have to build some constant contact in with their managers. And we do that through a feedback process and a career counseling process. So those, all of those pieces get broken into those three big buckets. Get the right person in the right job. Now they're good at it. Get them excited. Now they love it. And then get them talking to their managers all the time. Now they stay. And When you build those three, all of a sudden that employee who was so willing to jump ship so often, they don't. They love what they do. They like and they feel capable in it. And they have a great relationship with their manager. And those are all the reasons why people stay
0: and perform. Jay, when I work with hiring managers, they seem to want this superman or superwoman. And let's use a sales position as an example. They want this salesperson who can not only go out and find the business, they can go and discover what the person wants, do some product and needs matching, create the presentation, deliver that proposal, and close the business down and service that business and cross sell and upsell. And they're looking for this perfect salesperson. In reality, there are very few perfect individuals for any position. Why do our hiring managers insist on finding these perfect people for these positions?
1: I see that for two reasons. One is they would love it to happen because it's easier for them if somebody would just do it all. And they also um, need that kind of help in, in, a, in, a, in a time and a place where we're trying to do more with less. So it would be great if it were happening, but that's not. That's really not the way it works. And, and it's nothing that we can control. People are not, you know, the the perfect fit for these things. And and a lot of the work that I did on talents, I built my own talent analysis, and it it comes as part of the book. And what it does is it tries to explain the kinds of talents or the, the, the aptitudes that people need to be successful in certain roles. And as much as they may exhibit a strength and be great at some aspect of it, frequently it's not unusual to find that something else that they should be doing they're just not that good at. And since the the perspective is, you know, don't try and fix a weakness, because this is a weakness that's hardwired into your head. You know, if, if it's not the way you think, you'll never think that way. You'll never be great at it. So the idea is to play up the things that you are good at and find some compensating strengths to cover the things that you're not. So. Let's say you do have that salesman that you're talking about, and they're terrific, they're dynamic, they can, they can win a sale anywhere, but you know they can't seem to get their expense reports done or they can't seem to follow up the last of the detail in order to ensure that that customer that they won is now going to stay loyal. And in that, you may say, for the success that that, one, uh, customer, that that one salesman brings, I need to build in some support for that one so that the significant things that they can keep, they can keep doing But the things that they're not that good at, I'll build into the compensating roles in the organization. So if I have someone who's very analytic and very detail-oriented, they might be the person to send out the reminder to get the expense report done or to follow up with a customer on the last little amount of detail. And that's the unique personality of what you've got. So you play to the strengths. And if you see a, a significant weakness, sometimes you can compensate for it. Sometimes you may find that the weakness is so significant that that person is really not a good fit after all. And that's the funny and odd and challenging workplace environment that today's intellectual age managers have to deal with.
0: So in other words, they may have all the talents and they're doing their thing exceedingly well, but the blind spot they have may be just so overpowering that it affects the overall performance.
1: That's right. And in smaller organizations, sometimes you don't have the luxury of having that that compensating person to to accommodate the superstar. And there's a lot of things written out now why superstars are really not the way to go in business because as significant as their firepower is, there are some real conspicuous Achilles heels on, on them which frequently can undo all of the positive things that they do. And again, it's just up for discussion. Is this person a good enough fit? I all of the things that I need to do. I know they won't be perfect and everything, but can I support them? And that's the reason for a team. You know, when we look to hire, we look to put the right person in the job, but we also are paying attention to the balance of the team. Does, are the things that I need in order to ensure the weaknesses some, from some strong employees, are they well supported uh, in order to uh, ensure that this whole thing can get pulled off day to day?
0: You've been listening to Jay Forty, and this is the first part of a two-part podcast. Be sure to go to the second podcast and listen as Jay explains how to execute on the strategies he talked about in this podcast. This or other BizTalk podcasts may be downloaded by visiting our website at www.biztalkradioshow.com, or you can subscribe to BizTalk through iTunes. If you want to learn the strategies and how to take your sales force to the next level, you can contact Performance Group at 800-550-9509 or visit us on the web at www.pmgllc.net.